Have you ever played the game tug of war? Maybe when you're a kid, you know, you got some of your friends to go against some other friends and you got that rope and started pulling back and forth. And there's just something so simple but yet so powerful about the game of tug of war. Who wants to play tug of war with me? Yeah, right down here, yeah. Now it's a lot easier to pull someone down than just pull someone up and you're strong. Well, see, she could pull me right down, so thank you. Tug of war, I have to say, originated over 4,000 years ago with the ancient Egyptians. But tug of war in relationships, hey, that's been going on since the beginning of humanity. When Adam and Eve played tug of war with God for control of the Garden of Eden and they lost. And there's been a destructive game of tug of war in marriages and families and friendships in relationships ever since. People have been playing tug of war to try to get their way. Tug of war, digging in their heels, trying to pull the other person to their side. Tug of war to make sure their needs get met. Well, we're in this adventure that we're calling love with no strings attached because God's ideal for our relationships, our closest relationships should be harmony, Unity and love with no strings attached. But the reality is, in most relationships today, it's not love with no strings attached. It's love as a tug-of-war match where each is pulling back and forth, trying to get their way, making sure they get their needs met first. And it causes all kinds of disharmony and disillusionment, disappointment and deep wounds. Now, I have to say that the tug-of-war of conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, if you never have conflict in a relationship, it just means that it's a superficial one, uh, that it's just on the surface. And if you never have conflict in a relationship, it just means somebody's not telling the truth because once you really share your true feelings and you really share your feelings and opinions that are in your life and, and your with a, another person in a relationship where you're trying to share together, then what happens is you're gonna have conflict. But if you handle that conflict correctly, you go to a deeper level. If you never have conflict, you have to stay on the superficial level. So you wanna have conflict. You wanna have some conflict, but you wanna know how to handle it correctly. In this tug of war of conflict, there are a lot of incorrect ways to handle it that are very destructive. This tug of war of conflict that's destructive plays out in a lot of different ways. And it's usually because we learn these destructive ways in growing up on how to handle conflict. Or in our personalities, we have a tendency to handle conflict in an incorrect way. The first is what I call the my way or the highway relationship. Some of you, when it comes to conflict, you have to win at all costs. And when it comes to conflict, you always have to, to win the argument. When it comes to the tug of war of conflict, you always have to pull the person over to your side because you gotta have your way every time. It's the my way or the highway relationship. But you can win the argument and lose the relationship. But then there's what I call the let go of the rope relationship. Some of you, when it comes to conflict, uh, you just let go of the rope. You don't have anything to do with the tug of war of conflict because you avoid conflict at all cost. And that's very destructive. 
you know, when conflict arises and the emotions start coming up, you leave the room. You don't wanna rock the boat. You wanna keep everything going smoothly and so you don't deal with the difficult issues that hurt relationships. Then there's the always give in relationship. Some of you, when it comes to conflict, you always give in and let the other one win. In the tug of war of conflict, you always let them pull you over to their side. You always just give in because you think it's the more spiritual and unselfish thing to do. And to love with no strings attached, to love like Jesus, then you always give in and nothing could be further from the truth. No, really, that's not being like Jesus, that's being dishonest. Because when you always give in to let the other one win, then you're really not sharing the truth about how you feel. You're holding it in, and I've seen this in many marriages. And all of a sudden, after years of giving in and giving in and giving in and giving in, then they just get out of the relationship. And the spouse goes, what happened? I thought we had a pretty good marriage, and you know, now, you know, can't win her back, can't win him back. What happened all those years, the bitterness built up because they were always giving in. Then there's what I call the give and take relationship when it comes to the tug of war of conflict. And this is better than the others, but it's not God's best. It's where I win some of the time, you win some of the time. That I give 50%, you give 50%. I meet your needs, you meet my needs. The problem though is, in this give and take tug of war, where it's just give and take back and forth, you're still on opposite sides of the rope, and when you play tug of war, you always keep score. For you see, when you're playing tug of war, and your spouse in a marriage relationship is on the other side of the rope, and you're trying to give 50-50, it's never 50-50. And you notice that right away. Because in tug of war, you always keep score. And so you, you begin to notice, wait a minute, I'm giving 60% and you're only giving 40%. You know, I'm giving 52%. This isn't fair, you're just giving 48%. You're not carrying your weight. I'm giving 70%, you're giving 30%. You always notice. It's never 50-50. And in tug of war, you always keep score. And when you keep score in a relationship, you both lose. And so there's gotta be a better way. And the Bible tells us there is. And in this series, Love with No Strings Attached, we're discovering it. And our key verse is Ephesians 5, verse two. It says, observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that and look at how Jesus loves us, and we're to love like that. How did he love? He didn't love by getting and taking, but what did he do? He gave 100% of himself to us, and that's the secret right there, each giving 100% in a marriage relationship. But here's what I call it, same team relationship. You see, it's not where in a marriage relationship you're on one side, your spouse is on the other side of the rope, and that little red handkerchief is in the middle and you're pulling back and forth trying to keep it 50-50 and you're keeping score. No, it's where you're both on the same side of the rope and, and, and you're pulling against 
the culture that's trying to tear marriages apart today, that's trying to tear deep relationships apart today. And you're pulling against the enemy, Satan, the real enemy, who's trying to tear and destroy your marriage relationship, your family, that deep friendship. And so you're both on the same side of the rope. Now you have conflict, you have arguments, you, you have emotions and, and you have your true feelings and, and it's messy and it's no fun, but you're on the same side of the rope. That is, you know that you're fighting for a deeper connection. You're not fighting against each other. You're on the same team. For those of you who are married, you needed to hear that because you forgot that, didn't you? You are on the same team. You're not fighting each other. You're on the same team. And the fight is for connection. The fight and the conflict that you're having is to deepen the relationship. And so you're on the same team and it only works best when each, with God's power, is given 100%. But that rarely happens. But as long as you're on the same team, as long as you realize, hey, this is the purpose for which we're fighting, it's not to win the argument, it's to build the relationship, that changes everything. Well, I want us to look at a guy in the scripture who played tug of war most of his life. His name was Jacob, and he had a tendency to play tug of war for control. And at the root of all of this is our tendency to play tug of war for control. Hey, most marriage problems, when you peel away all the layers, it really comes down to two selfish people trying to get their way, playing tug of war for control. It's just two people trying to get their needs met first. It's two people who are keeping score. It's two people who are trying not to get hurt. Two people digging in their heels for control. But the more we play this tug of war of control, the more our anxiety, our fear, our hurt, and our problems and our relationships spin out of control. And Jacob found this to be true. But the worst thing about tug of war for control in a relationship is that it keeps us from experiencing our deepest need, and that is to be loved unconditionally and to love unconditionally. When you play tug of war for control, what it does is it keeps you from experiencing what God wants to give you if you'll stop struggling. He wants to give you his unconditional love. He wants you to experience it. He loves you unconditionally, but he wants you to feel it, to experience it so that you can love in that way. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32 and and we, we're going to see that Jacob, for most of his life, played this tug of war for control. He played tug of war for control of his closest relationships. He played tug of war to control his circumstances. But here in this passage, it all culminates where he plays, literally plays tug of war with God himself. So would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodlands Church? And I want to welcome all you guys worshiping with us through our satellite campuses, everyone worshiping with us through our broadcast ministry and online ministry, wherever you are. You're part of our church and we love you from the woodlands to the world. And so I, I want you to follow along with me. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. 
so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Dear God, who loves us with no strings attached, you know our deepest longings. And you know, Lord, our striving and our struggling and our playing tug of war for control to try to get our deepest needs met. But I pray today you would show us how you're just waiting to meet our deepest needs. And all the things that we're striving for are right there if we'll just stop striving. And Lord, I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that you would just speak to their heart through your word and let them know that you have a purpose, you have a plan. And no matter what they're going through, no matter what conflict or hurt they're experiencing, no matter what tears they're shedding, Lord, you have a purpose, you have a plan and you wanna see them through. And, and I pray, Lord, that you would just meet everyone at their point of need and work miracles today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Jacob's life to see where this tug of war for control started. And I, I think as we look at Jacob's life and we see the progression of how the tug of war for control started and then how he finally found what he was always striving for, you're gonna see yourself in this. We're gonna see ourselves in this because we're all control freaks to some degree, and we all need to learn how to give up that control to God. And so we see first that he was a manipulator, and we manipulate. You see, our deepest need is to be loved and to love, to be truly loved unconditionally, to be completely known and completely loved, and, and we don't even realize that's our deepest need, but we're manipulating, we're always striving, trying to get that need met, and all the things that we do that feel like they're gonna meet that need, meet it for maybe one second, and then they leave us even more empty, so we manipulate to get that need met, and Jacob, we find him first as a manipulator. Jacob's name meant manipulator, and Jacob had a twin brother, Esau, and the Bible says that in their mother's womb that the twins were basically playing tug of war for control. They were wrestling and jostling, and Rebecca, the mother, thought, this is crazy. What is going on? And, and God said, it's because you have two nations in your womb. And Jacob will be the father of Israel, and Esau will be the father of Edom. You have two nations in your womb, and Jacob, the younger brother, he will be the one to carry the family's birthright, this spiritual leadership and legacy and blessing of the family into the next generation. So Esau was born first, then Jacob was born, and when Jacob came out of the womb, he literally was holding on to Esau's heel. It was as if this little baby was playing tug of war with his little baby brother, trying to keep him from being the firstborn. 
And that's why they named him Jacob, which literally meant supplanter or manipulator. The definition is someone who pushes someone else down so they can get ahead. And that's what we think we have to do so many times. We get fearful that our deepest needs aren't going to be met. We don't even know what those deepest needs are most of the time. We're not in tune with what it is, so we fill it with so many things that can't satisfy, and so we start manipulating. And we think that if I'm going to win, they've got to lose. You know, if I'm really going to get ahead, then I've got to make sure that, you know, they lose. And so we manipulate. How would you like for your name to be manipulator? I mean, that doesn't bode well for your future, does it, you know? Trying to get a job, manipulator, you know? That was his name. Now I have to admit, sometimes I am manipulator shook. Those who know me best would know that at times I am manipulator shook. I try to manipulate and fix the situation, solve the problem, and change some other person myself, you know, and I'm manipulating, trying to get my deepest needs met. Now, I'm sure Jacob's mother had told him many times about the promise God gave her, that he would be the father of a great nation, that he would carry the family's birthright, the spiritual legacy, and blessing in the next generation. But Jacob didn't trust God's promise for his life. Jacob tried to help God along. He tricks his brother Esau out of his birthright for a pot of stew, and then he tricks and manipulates his father, Isaac, out of the family blessing. The amazing thing is what God had already promised Jacob, Jacob tries to manipulate in order to get. And that's the way we are. We're always trying to manipulate to get what God's already promised that he'll give us. In Genesis 27, 36, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Isn't he rightly named manipulator? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took, a, took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Now, understand, Esau didn't deserve the birthright and the blessing because he was outwardly rebellious. But that wasn't the point because Jacob was just as rebellious. He was inwardly rebellious. He was the one who always was polite, saying the right things. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. He always obeyed, but on the inside, he was rebellious. He was manipulating Jacob, the manipulator, is playing tug-of-war for control. And when you play tug-of-war for control, you're really playing tug-of-war with God. You're trying to do God's job. And the more you play tug-of-war for control, the more your life will spin out of control. And that's what happens to Jacob. He has to run for his life because his twin brother, Esau, is trying to kill him. And so he heads back to Aram, the family uh, origin, where they had originally come from. And one night on his way back to Aram, he spends the night in the wilderness all alone and God speaks to him in a dream and he says, all the promises your mother told you about are true. God says, I'm gonna make you the father of a great nation and I'm gonna bless you. And I'm gonna meet your needs and every place where you set your foot will be yours because I'm gonna lead you back home one day to the promised land. But what does he do? He does what we do. We bargain. We manipulate and we bargain, and Jacob bargains with God. In Genesis 28, 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now that sounds like a great prayer, but he's basically saying, God, let's make a deal. 
God, let's make a deal. God, if you come through on all your promises, then I'll surrender my life to you. God, if you come through and you bless me and you meet all my needs and you do all this stuff that you're saying, then I'll put you first in my life. God, if you bless me financially, then I'll tithe. That's what he's saying. He's bargaining. Have you ever bargained with God? You know, one of those prayers like, God, if you get me, I mean, I just made a mess of things, but if you get me out of this mess, I promise I'll go to church every weekend. I promise. I, I promise you. I'll even serve in the nursery, God. That's how much I need you. God, I promise if you help me win the lottery and get me out of this financial jam, I'll tithe. I promise, God. God, if you just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll put you first. You know, I, I'll never go back. I, I need you desperately, God. We bargain with God. When if we knew how much God loves us, if we really got a glimpse of how much God loves us so unconditionally, so powerfully, we would obey first knowing that we have a God who loves us so much we can trust him. We would obey first. That's faith. But God in his loving patience, he doesn't say to Jacob, don't you ever bargain with me again or I'll strike you dead. No, over his, in his loving patience, over 20 years, God works on Jacob's control issues. He allows some people to come into Jacob's life that manipulate him. He, he allows some people to come into his life that bargain with him. He allows some people to come into his life that hurt him. He, he allows problems to come into Jacob's life that Jacob can't solve or fix or control so that God lovingly, patiently works on these control issues. And Aram, God also blesses Jacob greatly, just like he promised. And then God tells Jacob, now it's time for you to go back home to the land that I promised you. And what does Jacob do? Well, I'm sure he thought first, wait a minute, it's been 20 years, and the last time I was there, my brother was trying to kill me. He knows what it means, he's gotta face his past, but Jacob is a different man than he was 20 years ago. He doesn't bargain with God, he obeys. He obeys first, even though he doesn't know if he's gonna be killed, doesn't know what's gonna happen, he trusts God's promise, he gathers up his huge family, all his flocks, all his herds, and what does he do? He starts heading back home. And I'm sure he had a lot of fears. He was probably thinking, I don't know, but I'm doing this, you know, and, and maybe it'll be okay. Yeah, maybe. May, it's been 20 years. Maybe Esau's forgotten all about the stuff that I did to him. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's probably going to be great. Then he gets a report from one of his servants that Esau is on the way to meet him. And he has an army of people with him. And Jacob is paralyzed with fear. He doesn't know what to do, and he still has some control issues. He's still playing some tug of war for control because he schemes, and that's what we do. We scheme. We play tug of war by coming, with, coming up with a plan to fix the problem, or we try to control the, the problem in the relationship. We try to you know, control the thing. It's not so bad. We can fix it. We can take care of it. When a struggle comes into our lives or relationships, we struggle with the struggle. That's what Jacob did in Genesis 32, 7. It says, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Boy, that was a positive plan, wasn't it? J Jacob doesn't cry out to God for help. God, I need your help in my relationship with my twin brother. 
you know, it's disastrous and I can't fix this one. What does he do? He tries to scheme and fix it himself, but he soon realizes that he doesn't have a whole lot of options, that this is beyond him. About all he can do is keep Esau from killing half his family, maybe. So he's coming to the place where he's run out of options. We manipulate, we bargain, we scheme, and ultimately, we struggle. We play tug of war with God for control. In verse 24, it says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So the night before Jacob faces his past and Esau, he goes off by himself all alone and he meets God face to face. There God meets with him. To experience God's love, you have to wrestle God for yourself. It has to be a firsthand personal experience with God. No one else can do it for you. And you say, well, my parents are Christians. My uncle's a pastor. You know, I live in America. I go to church. You may know a lot about God. The question is, do you know God personally? Jacob knew a lot about God from his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. He knew a lot about God's love, but he'd never experienced God's unconditional, no strings attached kind of love in his own life. But he has that personal encounter. And God allowed all the struggles so he could finally see that he couldn't control it and he could come to the place of surrender. And God's allowing those struggles in your life right now, and you're struggling, but ultimately you're struggling with God. You're wrestling God for control, and, and God and his love will keep wrestling you until you get worn out, until you have no options, until you surrender. And that brings us to where everything changes, we surrender. You can never experience the love of God until you surrender control to God. In verse 25, it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Jacob was in a tug-of-war match with God all night long, and it went back and forth for hours. But in a real sense, Jacob had been wrestling with God his whole life. He had wrestled for control of the birthright. He had wrestled for control of the blessing. He had wrestled for control of his family, of his circumstances, of his problems. He had been wrestling with God for control all of his life. And the amazing thing is, he was wrestling and struggling his whole life long for the very things that God was just waiting to give him if he would stop struggling and surrender. And some of you have been struggling with God your whole life. You've been wrestling with God. It's okay to wrestle with God about your doubts and your questions and your fears and your hurts. It's okay to be mad at God if you wrestle with him and bring it to him, but there's gotta come a point in time where you finally surrender. And you say, God, I give up. And that's when God gives to you everything you really need. You feel the unconditional love for the first time, and that love changes you forever. And so finally, Jacob comes to this place where he surrenders. Jacob wrestles with God all night, and then God touches his hip and match over. God touches his hip, his hip's out of socket, the match is over. And whenever you're in a tug of war for control with God, I can tell you how that's gonna end. You lose, God wins every time. But I love how God, in his loving patience, could have touched Jacob in the first second of that tug-of-war match and killed him. 
God could have touched him any time in that match and just destroyed him. But he didn't do that. Because God is not wrestling with you to crush you. God does not hate you. God is not allowing those problems and that pain and that hurt into your life and that struggle because he's mad at you. God is not trying to crush you. God wrestles with us so that we come to the place of surrender so we can experience what we've always longed for, his unconditional love flowing into our life and flowing through our life. Jacob finally gives up control. And once you come to the place of surrender and experience God's unconditional love, then we fight. Now that sounds strange, but it's so true. We fight. We fight for real love. We fight for a deeper relationship. You stop fighting each other and you start fighting for your marriage. You stop fighting each other, you start fighting for your family. In verse 26, it says, then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob stops fighting to get away from God, and for the first time in his life, he's fighting to hold on to God with all his heart. And that's what happens. You surrender control to God. You let go of control, and then you hold on to God with all your heart. You hold on to God with all your heart, and some of you needed to hear that because when you let go of control, that's not giving up. That's just giving it over to God. And some of you need to hear that because you need to keep holding on. Don't let go now of God. Now's the time to fight. You fight for your family. Fathers, you fight like a man on your knees, praying. You get in the game with truth and with love. You fight. You fight for a deeper relationship. You hold on, so what I'm saying is, some of you need to keep praying, keep believing, keep trusting, keep obeying, keep holding on because it's always darkest before dawn. Don't let go of God just before the blessing. Jacob says, I'm holding on until you bless me. Some of you are about to let go and the blessing is just around the bend. Don't let go, hold on. Turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. Hold on, hold on. The blessing is coming. The blessing is coming. Hold on. Don't let go. It's time to hold on to God with all your heart. And that's the way it is in relationships. That's the way it is with love. It's not easy. It's a fight. But it's a fight that's worth it in every way. Look at verse 27. It says, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob asked, what's your name? And God's like, do you, do you really need me to say it, Jacob? I think you know. And God asked Jacob, what's your name? God knew what his name was. He just wanted Jacob to say it. A manipulator. Yeah, yeah, I knew your name. Yeah, that's right, Jacob. What was it again? Manipulator. Yeah, that's it. No longer, though. That's not your name anymore. I am going to call you Israel. What a cool name that is. It means one who wrestles with God and with men and who overcomes. You're no longer a manipulator. You're an overcomer. So what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Anxious. 
fearful, controlling. What's your name? God says, I'm changing your name. Your name is no longer anxious. Your name is peace. Your name is no longer fear. Your name is faith. Your name is no longer controlling. Your name is set free. Your name is unconditional love. Your name is completely loved. Isn't that amazing? God changes his name because love and no strings attached changes you forever. You're never the same again. When you meet God, I don't mean just know about God. You know a lot about God, but do you know God? And have you experienced his unconditional love in your life? He was named overcomer. We manipulate, we bargain, we scheme, we struggle, we surrender, we fight, and we love. And that's why we're here on this earth, to love and to be loved, to love God with all our heart and enjoy him forever, and to love others. In verse 30, it says, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Now, in the Hebrew, the word Peniel just means face of God. El is God, and that just means face of God. So Jacob was saying, I've heard all about God through my grandfather Abraham. I've heard all about God's love through my father Isaac, but now I've experienced God's love, and I'll never be the same again. So you can't really love until you experience love. In verse 31, it says, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. See, as the sun rose that day, Jacob walked into a new day, and he was never the same again because he had a personal encounter with a God who is love. He walked into a new day as the sun rose with the blessing. So you hold on, that blessing's on its way. He walked into a new day but he was walking in a new way. He walked into a new day, but he was walking in a new way. He was limping and because God touched his hip and that limp stayed with him for the rest of his life as a reminder that his weakness for trying to control and struggle, he needed to remember every step of his life for the rest of his life that he needed to turn everything over to God's unconditional love, to the God who loved him so much that he would do anything to bring him to himself. And so he walked into a new day, but he walked in a new way. He walked in love for the rest of his life. It all started right there. And the first step he took had to be toward his past of reconciliation, toward Esau. And so he stops trying to control, and he loves with no strings attached. And that's exactly what you do, Woodland Church. That's what this church is built on, God's love. The love of God is built on the unconditional love of God as he changes our lives and then we start loving others. That's what you've been doing through this love and no strings attached adventure. Every Saturday at 9 a.m. at all of our campuses, we've had hundreds of people come up here and get tools, rakes, and, and all kinds of things that we give you, and then you go to houses, and people, we've been raking leaves out of people's yards, we've been cleaning gutters, cleaning garages, we've been washing cars, we've taken hot chocolate and coffee to all the parks in the areas, and just gave them out, and we've done so many things, we take donuts to the hospitals, to nursing stations, and well, we've been doing all these things, and given the little card that says love with no strings attached. We're not meeting this Saturday, but next Saturday, two more in December, nine o'clock, we'll give you donuts, and then you go out for an hour, two hours, three, whatever you can do. But I'm telling you, 
it's life-changing. But you don't even have to come up here because we're asking everyone to do an act of kindness and love for six people. We put six cards in your program. And I want you to pray over those six cards and give them out this week. Um, just this morning, on the way in, I drove through McDonald's for such a healthy little breakfast. And, and I bought the person's meal behind me. I don't know who it was. They bought a $75 meal at McDonald's. I don't know why. No. It's like $5 and something. So I was going to pray. Thank you, Lord. And, um, but... And then the, the, the person at the register gave him that little card. It's love with no strings attached. And, and we're doing hashtag love with no strings. And we're getting all kinds of amazing responses. You know, just a little act of kindness and love changes things. People go, you know, how much, or how much are you charging to, to clean the gutters? How much are you charging to clean the garage? What, you know, what are y'all raising money for? It? Nothing, just because we love you. No, Pastor Kerry says we can't take money from you. You're What? Love and no strings attached changes things. I want you to see how this ended up. The last verse, Genesis 33. He, Jacob, now really Israel, led the way as he approached his brother. He bowed down seven times. So you see he's a changed person. He doesn't know if Esau's gonna kill him or not, but he's still gonna honor his brother. And it says that he was honoring his brother, but Esau ran up and embraced him, held him tight, and kissed him, and they both wept. What a beautiful picture of reconciliation. They both stopped playing tug of war for control and they experienced real love. And it changed them and it changed their relationship. And those tears that they shed were tears of joy. And, and you know, the Bible says, he who sows in tears, he who goes out sowing in tears will come back reaping songs of joy. And I believe with all my heart, God wanted me to say that to somebody today because you've been weeping. You've been crying some painful tears of hurt and heartache. But God wants to take those tears and turn them into joy. And by the way, he counts every one of those tears. He knows your pain and your hurt. And he says, I want to turn it into joy. And I will. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, I pray for all those who are shedding tears, Lord, in a time of grief and hurt and brokenness. Maybe it's the pain of divorce. Maybe it's the, the hurt of losing a loved one. Maybe, Lord Jesus, it's just, just the, the loneliness and the, the wounds from the past. And I just pray right now, Lord, that all the tears they've shed, you would take every tear and turn it into a song of joy as only you can do. And I pray that you would heal relationships and families and hearts as only you can do. And Lord, we pray today that you would help us stop manipulating, bargaining, scheming, struggling, and help us surrender so that we can just experience the love that's waiting for us, that unconditional love. And Lord, I pray for those who've never experienced it. They may know a lot about you, but they don't know you. I pray right now they would just say this prayer to you in the silence of this moment. Dear Jesus Christ, come into my life. I need you. I admit it. I've been trying to control. I've been playing tug of war with you, God, so I want to make peace with you. I give up. I wave the white flag and surrender to your will and to your care and your control. Come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins and, and Lord, love through me. Meet my deepest need to be loved 
and then help me love, to fight for love from now on. Lead me, guide me, be the Lord of my life and take me to heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life and he'll never leave you. He'll always be like, hey, by the way, everyone knows this Thursday's Thanksgiving, but usually on Thanksgiving, there's not a lot of thanks or giving that takes place. There's a lot of watching football, which I love. There's a lot of eating turkey, which I really love. But not a lot of thanks and not a lot of giving. So let's thank the Lord right now for all he's given us, and let's, in our time of offering, give to him as thanksgiving. To say, I love you, Lord. I love my church. I love what you're doing in my life, and I trust you, and I obey you. Don't bargain with you. I just trust you, and I know you'll meet my needs. So, Lord, bless our giving, and I pray that you'd multiply it to meet the needs of Lord Jesus, all of the ministries and missions that are making such an impact through Woodlands Church, but most importantly, Lord, use it to meet our own needs of trusting you and seeing how much you love us, that as we give to you, you always give back. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.